Tonight's message is actually entitled The Third Veil. The Third Veil. And um, why don't we open with a word of prayer and then we will get started with our study for tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word and for your truth, Lord. We pray tonight that you would help us to understand this, um, this message, Lord, the third veil, and what it means for us today. Father, again, we thank you for, for speaking to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Tonight's message, again, is entitled, The Third Veil. And uh, to set the, the foundation for this message, we're going to begin in the Garden of Eden. And uh, in the Garden, Genesis 1, 31, after God had made everything and saw that it was uh, all good, Genesis 1, 31 says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God had created an entire planet. He had created the animals, the fish, the bird. He created Adam and Eve. And um, we know that when Adam and Eve were created, they had open communion with God. They had open uh, dialogue with the God of the universe. Now, this is really interesting because if you will remember in some of our previous studies, especially the, the, the study on the city of fire, we saw that the Bible said there that God is a consuming fire. And so when Adam and Eve were created and God would fellowship, fellowship with them in the garden, they had no, there was no, uh, no separation between them. They could communicate with God face to face. However, sin caused a separation between man and God. When Eve took of that tree uh, that she was commanded not to partake of, something happened in their relationship with between themselves and God. And you will remember that after this incident, Eve takes the, the fruit and gives it to her husband. He eats. And then what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is that when they hear the voice of God walking, what do they do? They start to run. They hide. And I'd like to say here that when Adam and Eve sinned, a veil went up between them and God. Now, a veil in the Bible is simply a mark of separation, something separating. Just like if you thought of a veil, a curtain, it's something that divides or separates. And I want to show you here, according to Isaiah 59 verse 2, the Bible says, but your iniquities have done what? separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. Now remember before Adam and Eve sinned, they had open face-to-face -face communication with their maker. There was nothing to be afraid of. But once they sinned, what happened? God, there was a separation that came into the relationship between Adam and Eve. And now, instead of running to God and to the presence of God and to the glory of God, what did they do? They ran away. They ran in the opposite direction. I want you to notice the basic Bible in English, the same verse, translates it this way. But your sins have come between you and your God, 
and by your evil doings, his face has been what? Veiled from you so that he will give you no answer. So as we're seeing here, beloved, sin veils, sin brings up a veil between humanity and God. When Adam and Eve sinned, a veil went up and we're going to find out why that veil went up. Notice here the purpose of a veil according to Exodus Exodus 34, 29, and 30. The Bible says here, And it came to pass, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses knew not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So in other words, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and uh, talked with God and received the Ten Commandments, the Bible says that his face was lighted up. It was glowing with the glory of God. And when he comes down, the children of Israel see him walking down and his face is all glowing. How do you think they felt about that? Well, they were terrified. Much like who was terrified when they saw the face of God? Adam and Eve. They were running from, from God's face, much like the children of Israel were terrified. It says, when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were, what? Afraid to come nigh him. Now, should they have been afraid? No. Why? Because this is the glory of God. God's desire is to have us be able to dwell in his presence. But because of sin, instead of them saying, oh, this is beautiful, Moses' face is glowing, what did they do? How did they feel? They were afraid, they were terrified. And so Moses had to put a veil over his face so that the people would not be afraid of him when he spoke to them. Now I want you to notice Genesis 3. Verses 8 through 10, because I, I, you're going to see here the very same response that the children of Israel had toward Moses is the very same response that Adam and Eve have towards God. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife did what? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and he said unto him, where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So, beloved, what you have happening here is that once sin entered, our perception of God changed. Mankind became afraid of God, and they could not look at God without being terrified, just as the children of Israel could not look at Moses without being afraid. And because of that, Moses had to put up a veil over his face. We're going to call this veil tonight the veil of mercy, the veil that went up that separated between God and mankind when they sinned, we're going to call it a veil of mercy. Why? Notice Exodus 33, verse 20. God says here, You cannot see my face, for there shall no man, what? See me and live. That's Exodus 33, verse 20. Why is it that no man can see God, can see his face and live? Because our God is a 
consuming fire. So once man sinned, their relationship to God changed in that had God now approached them open-faced, what would have happened to Adam and Eve immediately? They would have been destroyed. And so God, out of mercy and out of love for Adam and Eve, puts up this veil, as it were, that now veiled his glory, his, his uh, unbridled glory to Adam and Eve so that they would not be destroyed. If you and I were to see God face to face today, guess what would happen? We would, we would die. The Bible says no man can see his face and live. So when Adam and Eve sinned and that separation took place, that that, that was caused by sin, and that veil went up, we know that it was a veil of mercy because God loved Adam and Eve. He did not want to destroy them. So he protected them, as it were, from himself, from his glory. Now, this is the very reason why God gave us the sanctuary. The sanctuary prepares us to see the face of God again. How many of you would like to see the face of God? All right, this is the purpose of the sanctuary. In fact, you'll notice Exodus 25, verse 8, the Bible says, when God was commanding Moses to build him a sanctuary, he said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may do what? Dwell among them. The very purpose of the sanctuary was to prepare us so that we could once again dwell with God and see him face to face. Now, I want you to notice that in the sanctuary, there were veils. How many of you recognize that? We've been going through the sanctuary the whole time. There were veils in the sanctuary. And I hope I have my pointer here on me. Yes, I do. I want to point out to you that in the sanctuary, there were actually three veils. Here was one at the gate. This was called the gate. This is the first veil through which a person had to walk to get into the sanctuary. Then there was a second veil which covered or was the opening to the tent itself. So here's, here's the veil to the tabernacle. Here's the veil to the tent. And then inside this room, the, the tent itself, was another veil, a third veil that separated the holy from the most holy place. So I'm going to go back real quick. The first veil was the veil that separated from the outer court and just outside the sanctuary. The second veil separated from the outer court and the holy place. And the third veil separated from the holy place and the, what everyone? Most holy place. Okay. There were three veils as we're seeing in this sanctuary. In Exodus 26 and verse 33, it tells us about the veil between the holy and the most holy place. In Exodus 26 and verse 36, it tells us about the veil which was at the door of the tent between the holy and the court. And then in Exodus 40 verse 28 and 29, it tells us about a veil at the door of the tabernacle. That was the outermost veil. The first veil that you, went, that you came to in coming to the sanctuary was the veil at the door to the tabernacle. Now the question is, which one of these veils was the first veil to go up when Adam and Eve sinned? Remember, a veil stands for separation from God. And the purpose 
of the sanctuary is to bring us face to face again with God. So these three veils represented three ways in which humanity is separated from, from God. The question that I'm asking right now is, which one of these veils, I'm going to go back here, which one of these veils would have been the first veil to go up? And I don't expect you to know the answer. I'm going to tell you the first veil to go up, that there in the Garden of Eden, that veil that God symbolically threw up to protect mankind from his presence and glory was this gate, this veil right here. The gate. Why do we say that? I want you to notice Genesis 3.21. The Bible says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make what? Coats of skins and clothed them. Okay, what does that mean? Adam made or God made coats of skin for them. Coats of skin from what? From an animal. So what had to happen to that animal in order for Adam and Eve to receive their clothing? They had to be sacrificed. And what veil circles or, or embodies the principle of sacrifice? It is the outer veil. That first, uh, when you were coming up to the sanctuary, that first veil was the place where sacrifice took place. And so symbolically speaking, when Adam and Eve sinned and God uh, sacrificed this animal to cover them, they were symbolically at the first veil, that veil that separated them from the actual presence of God, from seeing God's face. That was the veil that was thrown up symbolically speaking. The outer veil was the first veil to go up. I want you to notice that this veil is the veil that separated man from the visible presence of God. In other words, it was this veil thrown up when Adam and Eve sinned that prevented them from now seeing God, what? Face to face. Now, how many of you would like for this veil to be removed? How many of you would like for it to be removed right now? <laughs> no, why not? Because many of us are not what? Ready. This is the veil that stopped, that separates us from seeing the unseen. This is the veil that separates heaven from earth. And, and this is the veil that God ultimately wants to remove. But the sanctuary reveals that there were three veils, not just one. Again, we see here, this is the first veil that went up. The veil in the outer court. The veil that separates us from the literal an actual presence of God. Adam, or rather in Genesis 3.24, God, Bible says of him that he drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, that is angels, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they were put out of the garden they were led through those gates to the garden, and then God put angels there to guard the gates of Eden. Mankind could no longer enter into the garden. This is another sign that shows that first veil that went up is the veil that revolved around sacrifice. That is where Adam and Eve and all their children for a time would come and offer up their sacrifices 
in prayer to God. Remember the story of Cain and Abel. They offered up sacrifices. They were just outside the garden, just outside the gate of the garden. And so this first gate or door represented that outer veil, that veil that went up, that separated man from God. But in this model of salvational history, in the sanctuary that is, three veils stood between man and God. Number one, we just saw, was the veil of mercy which separated man from the face of God. The second veil would be that veil that separated humanity from three things. The knowledge of the gospel, communion with God, and light. Now, why do I say that? What was in the holy place which this veil blocked humanity from seeing? There were three articles of furniture. There was incense. And what have we learned the incense represented? Prayer, communion. There was the candlestick. And what did we learn the candlestick represented? Light, God's people. It represents a number of things, but they're all combined in the principle of light. And also we found that uh, the third article of furniture was the table of... Showbread, which represents what everyone, the word of God. So basically, when man sinned, not only was he separated, not only could he no longer gaze into the pure and holy face of God, but now he had been separated from light. He had been separated from unhindered uh, communication with God, and he had been separated from a true and pure knowledge of the word of God. This is what sin caused in mankind. Not only were they separated from the face of God by the first veil, but there was also a second veil that separated them from the knowledge of the gospel, from communion with God, and from the light of God's truth. How many of you would like for this veil to be removed? And beloved, God is working in such a way where we're going to see that he is and has removed this veil even now. The third veil was the veil that brought you into the where? Most holy place. And this veil covered two things. God's law and his character. There goes my pointer. God's law and his character. When man sinned, not only was he separated from the face of God, not only was he separated from the knowledge of the gospel, communion with God, and the light of God, but now he had separated himself from the very foundation of God's government, which is the law of God. Not only that, but his character, because the law of God is simply God's character. So these were the three things that man was separated from when he sinned in the Garden of Eden. The purpose of the sanctuary, beloved, therefore, is to prepare humanity for the removal of these three veils. Does that make sense? The purpose of the gospel is to, because God doesn't want these veils separating us forever, there's going to come the time where he's going to remove these veils so that we can see him what? Face to face. And if we're not ready to see him face to face, what's going to happen to us? We're going to be destroyed. So the purpose of the sanctuary is to prepare us for the removal of these three veils. Now we're going to see that two of these veils have already been removed. 
The first veil was removed at Christ's death. Matthew 27, 50, 51. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, read that with me everyone, the veil of the temple was rent or ripped in two from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Now what did that symbolize? The veil of the temple being ripped in two. We're talking about the earthly temple that the Jews were offering up their sacrifices in. What did that represent? The fact that at Jesus' death, this veil was ripped. Open communion with God. Christ's death had opened up a way for mankind to once again have communion with God, for the light of the gospel to shine through once again, and for the truth of God's word to be planted in our hearts. If it were not for Christ's death, none of that would be possible. Amen? I want you to notice, do you remember the 70-week prophecy? We went over the 70-week prophecy a little while back, and we're not going to go into it in detail tonight. We're simply going to see that this, according to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25, the Bible said here, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to do what? anoint the most holy. In this prophecy of the 70 weeks, which was given to Daniel, this prophecy in a nutshell pinpointed the very time of the transition from the earthly sanctuary to the what? Heavenly sanctuary. You'll remember that we went over this time period 457 B.C., that's when the starting date was given for the 70-week prophecy. If you add it 490 years, you come to 34 AD. And the prophecy says sometime in that time period, just towards the end of this time period, Jesus would ascend and anoint the heavenly sanctuary. And that did happen. We read in Hebrews 9, 12, Neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the, where? Holy. Holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So, here's a question. When Jesus died, which veil of the three, and I want you to watch me up here because I'm just going to use my, my, my fingers as a sign. Look, here is the outer veil. Here is the second veil between the outer court and the holy place. And here's the third veil that separates the holy from the most holy. Which one of these three veils, one, two, or the middle, which one of these three veils was removed? The middle veil. In other words, when Jesus died and ascended into the heavenly holy place, it symbolized that the way into the holy was now made open through his death for you and for me. Through Christ's death, we may now enter the heavenly, what everyone? Sanctuary by faith. So once Jesus died and removed that veil, there now stood how many veils between humanity and God? Uh, we got three veils 
And at Christ's death, one has been removed. Only one has been removed. The veil where Christ enters into the heavenly sanctuary. The veil that separates the outer court from the holy place. It is that middle veil, you were right, that's the, middle, that's the veil that's been removed. But there's still how many veils? Still two. Still two veils. Remember, this outer veil separates us from the actual presence of God. Has that veil been removed yet? No, it hasn't. Nope. That veil was not removed when he died because can you and I see God face to face today? No. If we do, what would happen to us? We would be destroyed. We would die. Now, let's go on and you, you will catch us as we're going along. One veil has been removed and that is the veil to the holy place. Revelation 4.1 tells us, After this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither and I will shew thee things which must be hereafter. And when John goes up in vision, he sees Jesus standing in the holy place. Very good. That is the veil that has been removed. Mankind now has a glimpse into the holy place, into the ministry of Jesus Christ that has been going on in the holy place. Here's the veil. Let me just point it out to you. This is the veil that was removed at Jesus' death. Okay? I want you to notice the candlestick. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 tells us, For God who commanded the what? God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the what? Face of Jesus Christ. The death of Christ allows us to enter by faith into the heavenly sanctuary in the holy place where is the candlestick that is also reflective of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Not only that, Hebrews 7.25 tells us, Wherefore he, that is Jesus, is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him or come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make what? Intercession for them. Christ's death, through his death, the light of the glory of the gospel is now shining in his face. Through his death, he now lives to make what? Intercession. This is what the our altar of incense represented in the holy place. And finally, we are told in Romans 10, 17, So then faith come by hearing, and hearing by the what? Word of God. And we know that the bread represents the word of God. Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Through Christ's death, we now have the bread of life in our hands and in our hearts. Through Christ's death, we are now being interceded for by and, uh, by and through our high priest. And through his death, we now have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, how many of you are happy that this veil has been removed? All right. When was the second veil removed? Here is the answer. The second veil, which is the veil between the holy and the most holy, was removed in 1844. And this is the 
How do we come to this date? This is the prophecy we spoke of in Daniel 8.14. Unto 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what? Cleansed. And we saw that the cleansing of the sanctuary simply represented the beginning of the judgment. We had that, we discussed that in our message on the sanctuary. You can always get the tape to refresh your memory. But as we look at this time prophecy, 457 BC, the same beginning point of the 70 weeks, you add 2300 years, because in Bible prophecy a day equals a year, and you come to the year 1844. What happened at that time? Notice Daniel 7, 9. The Bible says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit. Who is the Ancient of Days? Who is the Ancient of Days? It is God the Father. It says, The Ancient of Days did sit whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Verse 10 says, A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. In 1844, Daniel pictures a scene where the Ancient of Days, it's as though he's entering into this room and he takes his seat. And then we're told that Christ, I saw the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the cloud of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Daniel 7.13. What you have happening here is a movement from the holy place to the where? To the most holy place. Thank you. In 1844, the second veil was removed. The veil to the most holy place. What is in the most holy place, everyone? The law of God and the character of God. And this is what the judgment is based upon, which we've learned in previous studies. Revelation 11:18 tells us, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be, what? Judged, and that thou should give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to thy saints, and them that fear thy name. When did the time of judgment begin, according to what we just read? In Daniel chapter 7 and 8. 1844, remember that. It says, continuing in Revelation 11:19, and the temple of God was what? Opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. Okay, let me recap for you, in case some of you are lost. When Jesus died, he entered into what compartment? The holy place. That's where the seven branch candlestick is. That's where the altar of incense is. And that's where the table of showbread is. When Christ entered that, mankind could rejoice because now they themselves could by faith follow Christ where he was. Amen? Through Christ's death, we now have the light of the gospel brought to us. We now have the light that we have open communion with God and that we have his word unadulterated that through Christ we can eat that word and have life in us. So that's the good news of the death of Christ. 
However, there was another veil that Christ must enter into. And when he entered into that veil, that would begin the work of judgment. Now, why would entering into that veil, the veil in the most holy place, beginning the work of judgment, judgment for what? How many veils have been removed now? Once this veil was opened and you could now look into the Ark of the, of the Testament, which of the, of the two veils remaining were removed? The one that separated the holy place from the most holy place. How do we know that? Because now you and I can, by faith, look into the temple and see what? The Ark of his Testament. This is what happened in 1844. We talked about when all these different people got together, they looked at this prophecy, 2300 days, then shall a sanctuary be cleansed. What in the world could that mean? And as they studied and studied, they realized there's a heavenly temple, and they saw, well, if there's a heavenly temple and the judgment has begun, what is the standard of the judgment? And guess what they found the standard of the judgment to be? The very law that was found where? In the Ark of His Testament, which is the law of the Ten Commandments. Very good. So, the judgment begins, and beloved, let me just tell you up front here. This judgment is to decide or to reveal who will be able to stand when that final, what? Veil that separates us from the actual face of God is removed. Does that make sense? In other words, what God has done is he has led us through the sanctuary as sort of like a changing room. We're going to talk about that in a little while. But in this changing room, he prepares us so when he finally removes that veil that he put up there in the garden of Eden, the veil that prevents you and I from looking directly into the face of God, when he finally removes that veil, you and I will be able to stand. We will see him face to face and not what? Run away from him, but run to him. You know, how many of you remember, I'll come to that in a moment. Here's a picture of the sanctuary, just the 2300 day prophecy we just looked at. And just to help make it a little bit clearer for you, this is the 70 week prophecy, 490 years. 70 weeks, you take a day for a year, you come to 490 years. And in this time period, just in this last couple of years of the 70 week prophecy, Jesus died and the veil to the what? Holy place was removed. At the end of the 2300-day prophecy, which is 2300 years, brings us to 1844. And in that year, the veil to the most holy was removed. So we've got the removal of two veils here. There again is a veil that was removed when Jesus entered into the most holy place in 1844. Beloved, what this means is that there is one veil only which stands between humanity and God. Now, how many of you are trembling? Beloved, one veil stands now between you and God. And that veil is the veil that separates us from seeing him, what? 
face to face. How many of you are ready to see God face? Now, I know you want to see him face to face, but that's not the question. How many of you are ready to see him face to face? That's the question. Well, you say, Pastor, I'm not ready. I want to be ready. Well, how do you get ready? You got to go where? Into the sanctuary. That's the place, beloved, that God has set for us to be prepared to meet him face to face. Now, this is the changing room that I was talking about. Um, How many of you remember watching the movie, maybe when you were younger, the movie Superman? Anybody ever saw that? You remember Superman? He couldn't just change anywhere, could he? Where did he have to go to change? The phone booth. So if I can help you to understand this a little bit better. The sanctuary is like the phone booth. Amen? It's the place where God says, I want you to go into there because once you go into there, that is where I operate on you. This is the operating room so that when I come to meet you face to face, you will be what? Ready to see me and not run away. It is as though, listen, let me show you here. Remember back in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve could have open communion with God. There was nothing that was separating them. But once they sinned, a veil went up for their own what? For their own protection, their own safety. It was as though God set up this veil to protect them from being destroyed. And then he tells Moses, let them make me a sanctuary. This is years, thousands of years later. Let them make me a sanctuary so that... I can work on them in the what? Changing room that I could change them so that when I come, when I come again, they will be what? Prepared to meet me. When I finally remove this third veil, because here's this veil to the, this is the veil that was removed at Christ's death. This is the veil that was removed when the judgment began. And now, beloved, there is only one veil left. It is this veil here, the veil to the outer court, that once that veil is symbolically removed, you and I see God, what? Face to face. This is the changing room. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us, but we all with open what? Face Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are what? Changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, beloved, listen. What God is saying, where is his glory? In this changing room. Where is the glory of God? I'm pointing to it. It's in the where? Most holy place. This is where the throne of God was. This is where his glory was. God says, I want you to come. I want you to walk step by step from the outer court into the holy place. You're getting closer to me. Into the most holy place where you can see my glory, symbolically speaking. And by seeing my glory, you will be what? Changed into the same image so that when I come again, you will be what? Prepared to see me face to face. I want to show you why this is so important. 
James 1, 23, 25, speaking about that glass. The Bible says, For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh, looketh into that perfect what? Law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, or this word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. In other words, beloved, what the Bible is telling us here is that the perfect law of liberty is none other than that law found where? In the sanctuary, in the most holy place. And we are told that by looking at that law, which is like a glass, what do we get to see? We get to see ourselves. And I think I talked about this before. When you get up in the morning, what is the purpose of a mirror? To show you how, how horrendous you look, right? Does the mirror show you a horrendous face sometimes? Be honest. Come on and tell the truth. Yeah. What do you do with the mirror? Do you crack the mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, I hate you? No, you don't do that. The mirror is your friend, believe it or not. Amen? Now, the mirror may not tell you nice things, but is the mirror a friend? Yes. The mirror says, hey, look, if you want to get better, if you want to look better, this is what you have to do. And the mirror, beloved, really directs you to the one who can wash you up and clean you. Amen? So what do you think the devil wants to do with this mirror? He wants to crack it. He wants to break it. Whatever he can do to distort the picture, that he will do. Well, we're told here that as we enter into the most holy place and look at that perfect law of liberty, that is what God is wanting to show us to say, look, if I were to come today, you're not keeping this law. If I were to come today, do you know what would happen to you? You would be what? Destroyed. So the very purpose then of Christ, step by step, moving us, removing one veil, and then help, helping us to... to assimilate to that and then removing the next veil and helping us to assimilate to that is because he is slowly trying to prepare us for the time when he removes that third and vinyl, final veil which separates us from the actual and literal presence of God. The third veil to be removed is the one that separates us from the face of God. I want you to notice Isaiah 25. 7 and 8. The Bible says here, and he, that is God, will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people. According to this verse, beloved, there is something called a what? Covering cast that is over who? All people. And notice what it goes on to say, and the veil that is spread over all Nations, did you know that? The Bible tells us that there is a veil. We can't see this veil, but it's a veil that's spread over all nations. God says in this day, what day is that? In this time, what time is that? He's going to destroy the covering cast that is over the people and the veil that is spread over all nations. And here's our clue. In the very next verse, it says he will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away 
tears from all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth for the Lord has spoken it. So question, when is this time that we are told that this veil is to be removed that is spread right now over all nations and over all people? We're told that it will be the time when Christ does what? Or when he, that is God, does what? Swallows up death in victory and wipes away all tears. Can anyone tell me when that is? That's right. It's the second coming. Now, beloved, we've already seen one veil was removed at Christ's death. Another veil was removed when the judgment began. Now we're being told that a third veil will be removed when Christ comes again. How do we know that? 2 Corinthians 15, 51 and 54 tells us, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the when, last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be what? Changed. We shall be what? Changed. Who are the ones that will be changed when Christ comes again? The ones who spiritually entered the what? Changing room. You get it? Those who enter the changing room are the ones that will be changed physically when Christ comes again. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, what? Death is swallowed up in victory. Beloved, the verse we just read in Isaiah 25 tells us that the covering cast or the veil will be removed. And according to this text, it will be when Jesus comes again. This is when that third and final veil is to be removed. Now, beloved, the veils lead to one conclusion only. True and sincere self-sacrificing study, prayer and light will and must, will and must lead into the where? Most holy place to the law and the character of God. Do you get that? If we are truly studying the word of God, eating at the table of showbread, if we are truly praying, communing, altar of incense, if we are truly seeking light, that's all in the holy place. Where must it lead us to? Into the most holy place where is the what? Law and the character of God. I want you to notice Ecclesiastes 12, 12 to 14. Further by these my son be admonished. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of flesh. Ever feel like that sometimes? Ooh, man, this is weary. All this studying is just weary. All this knowledge, Pastor Myers, you have talked and talked and talked and talked. What's the bottom line, Pastor? Well, can I give you the bottom line right here? If I were to sum up my whole message in one verse, it would be this verse right here. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. That's what uh, the, 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 the wise man says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and do what, everyone? Keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God shall bring every work into what judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil 
That's it. Where, where is God trying to lead us? He's trying to lead us into the most holy place so that we can see the law of God, the same law that Adam and Eve broke, that we can keep it by his grace and through his power so that when he comes again, we will not have deceived ourselves saying, I'm ready for Jesus to come. And then when he comes face to face, we're going, oh my goodness. We're going, something doesn't feel right within me. We're seeing him and fear begins to bubble up in our hearts. God doesn't want that. He wants to save as many as possible. Now, on the flip side, false study, false prayer, false light leads to what I call antichrist conclusions. And we discussed who the Antichrist was. But one of the things the Antichrist was to think to do, remember, he shall speak great words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, Daniel 7.25, and think to what? Change times and laws. Beloved, there's only two conclusions that we can come to. One, we can go into the holy place, symbolically speaking, and there are many people, beloved, that are saying, I study the word of God, and I pray, and I seek light, and I've come to the conclusion that God's law doesn't exist. That God has abolished his law. That God has changed his law. Whose conclusion is that? It's the conclusion of the enemy, beloved. True Bible study, true prayer, true light, leads us into the most holy place. False light, false study, false prayer says, hey, we don't need the law of God anymore. Um, we're saved by grace, which we are saved by grace, but we learn that grace does not nullify the law of God. It empowers us to keep the law of God. Amen? So, beloved, God is trying to get us into the most holy place where we will keep that law. And in particular, which law has the man of sin sought to change? We already know it. We've gone over it a couple of times. The Sabbath, Exodus 28 and 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the what? Seventh day. The what day? Seventh day. Does it say the first day there? Does it say the second day? Does it say one in seven days? Does it say any seventh day you choose? Whose Sabbath is it? It is the Sabbath of who? The Lord's. Do any of you have a Sabbath? No. Why not? Because you're not God. Only God can have a Sabbath. Because he's the one that created the world. That's why it says the seventh day is the Sabbath of who? The Lord thy God. So we are to be keeping whose Sabbath? The Lord's Sabbath. And if you challenge anyone, hey, when is God's Sabbath? You'll never find a verse in the Bible that says anything other than the what? seventh day and the man of sin has said hey you don't need to keep the sabbath you don't need to keep the law of god but beloved as we are moving veil by veil and by faith we enter into the most holy place we see hey wait a minute god's law hasn't what changed the seventh day of the week is still the same seventh day of the week in jesus's time that's friday sundown to Saturday sundown. It is not the first day of the week. God didn't change it. The disciples didn't change it. And we saw in our studies that we looked all through the New Testament and found nowhere where the Sabbath was changed. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Why should we keep the Sabbath? For in six days the Lord did what? Made heaven and earth. The only way the Sabbath can change is if the reason it was given is what? Changed. And that can never change. Satan would like it to be changed, 
but it can never be changed. I want you to notice Luke 6, 46. <coughs> Jesus says here, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Ever read this verse? This is a powerful verse, beloved, because God is saying here, Jesus is saying, listen, if you call me Lord and don't do the things that I say, you don't keep my law, how can you call me Lord? Lord means I do what you say. Lord means you're the master of my life. And God is saying here, I understand ignorance, but once I have removed these veils and I'm drawing you by the spirit of God and you say, I don't want to go into the most holy place. Beloved, by avoiding the most holy place, you are avoiding the changing room and setting yourself up for a major disappointment. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their what? Mouth. I love you, Jesus. But, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do, do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The man of sin would think to change times and laws. And I want you to notice, beloved, we're coming to a close here. I want you to notice what happens when Jesus comes again. There are going to be two groups of people. And I want you to see it here clear, clearly. Revelation 20.11 tells us, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was no, found no place for them. We're not talking about the literal earth here, the literal heavens. We're talking about the people of the earth. We're talking about those who said, Lord, Lord, and yet didn't do what he, what he commanded. Revelation 6, 15 and 17 again tells us, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves, remember what Adam and Eve did in the beginning? Hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Why do they say this? They were not changed. They didn't enter the changing room. They didn't follow veil by veil. Beloved, there are many people who have entered into the holy place symbolically. They say, hey, I study my Bible. I pray. I do this. I do that. But they come to the faulty conclusion that God's law does not need to be kept. This is the very reason why Adam and Eve were put out of the garden. Because they sinned and sin is transgression of the law. And they say, hide us from the face of him. Now, let me tell you how crazy these people are going to be. Just imagine, <coughs> excuse me, you're walking down the street, and all of a sudden you see a man running your direction, and he's going, run for your lives, run for your lives, a lamb is loose, run, run. What, is, what do they say? Hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the who? Beloved, does that make sense? The wrath of the lamb? <coughs> In misunderstanding the character of God, 
that loving God who the Bible says <coughs> loves us so much that he manifests himself as fire. In misunderstanding his character, when Jesus Christ comes again, the people who reject his law, who say, Lord, Lord, and yet do not what he says, will be so deceived that when this gentle, loving lamb comes to receive us, to lift us up in glory, to save us, they're going to be thinking, this Jesus is full of anger and he's up to nothing good. He scares me. He terrifies me. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, all of a sudden became fearful of God, thinking that God is going to destroy us and kill us and he's a tyrant and all these things. Yes, beloved, they will be destroyed, but it is because they do not understand the character of God. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Beloved, that is the cry of an insane person. That is a cry of a person who does not understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, how many of you would like to cry out, hide us from the face or the wrath of the Lamb? I'm not raising my hand. None of us want to cry that out. He says, if you want to see me face to face, you've got to enter into the changing room. And notice what they end up saying. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to what? Stand. Beloved, you and I know who's going to be able to stand. Who's going to be able to stand? Those who, when Jesus died and removed the first veil, they entered and they said, I really want to pray, and I really want to study, and I really want to seek the light of God. And God, whatever you show me, that I'm going to do. And then when Jesus moved from the holy to the most, to the most holy in 1844 and the heavenly temple was open and they saw in there the Ark of the Testament they didn't say well you know what um, I haven't kept the law before and I've been saved so it doesn't matter now I'm not going to do it no they said Lord I'm going to follow you and they moved into the most holy place experience they said I will keep your law including that fourth commandment I will not think that your law has been changed and because of that beloved they are able to do what? Stand when that covering cast, that third veil is removed. They don't run away from God, but they do what? They run to him. Revelation 22, 3 and 4 tells us, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And read this with me. They shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Beloved, how many of you want to see the face of God? Listen, closing verse. Revelation twenty-two fourteen 14 tells us right here. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates or the veil or the door into the city. Beloved, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were put out of the gates of the garden. They could have no access to the tree of life and a veil went up. God says, build me a sanctuary 
and I'm going to show you what you need to do to be prepared for me when I remove that veil that I put all the way put up all the way back there in the Garden of Eden. And beloved, right now there is one veil between you and I, between us and God. And God says, "This is how I want you to prepare. Those who keep the commandments will have right to the tree of life and will enter in through the gates into the city." Let's pray, Heavenly Father. Lord, tonight we have heard a message. A message, Lord, that you are saying to us, I want to see you face to face. Father, help us to understand that to do this there can be only one conclusion, we must keep the law of God as you wrote it and not as man has changed it. Help us, Father, because it was for this very reason, neglecting your law, that Adam and Eve were placed out of the garden. Father, one veil remains between humanity and divinity. Even now you are calling us into the changing room to be changed by your word, to be changed through prayer, to be changed through light and to be changed by your law. Help us, Lord, not to draw back, but to be willing to give anything to be changed into your image and into your glory. That when you come again, we may look up and say, Lo, this is our God. Not hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.